Thank you for joining us here at Celebration Church, where we celebrate God, celebrate people, and celebrate life. We hope you enjoy today's message. I want to do part two of my little series around our celebration code entitled Red Flags. But if you've got your Bible, uh, turn with me to Romans 12. Once you've got it, you're allowed to say, got it, to show everyone that you know where Romans is. Oof. Fantastic. Verse 2 is on our screen, but I just want to read um, some verses around it. Is that okay this morning? Not okay with you? It says this in verse 1. Uh, so, my dear family, this is my appeal to you by the mercies of God. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Worship like this brings your mind into line with God's. What's more, on the screen, don't let yourselves be squeezed, everyone say squeezed, into the shape dictated by this present age. Instead, be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you can work out what God's will is, what is good, acceptable, and complete. Through the grace which was given to me, I have this to say to each one of you. Don't think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think, but rather think soberly. In line with faith, the true standard which God has marked out for each of you. As is, there is one body, we have many limbs and organs, you see, and all the parts have different functions. So we, many as we are, are one body in the Messiah, and individually we belong to one another. Can I keep going? Is that okay? Well then, we have gifts that are offered in accordance with the grace that has been given to us, and we must use them appropriately. If it is prophecy, we must prophesy according to the pattern of faith. If it is serving, we must work out our serving. If teaching, we must teach. If exhorting, our exhorting. If giving, we should be generous. If leading, we should do it with energy. If doing acts of kindness, we should do it cheerfully. Verse 9 says, Love must be real. Hate what is evil, stick fast to what is good. Be truly affectionate in showing love for one another. Complete with e- uh, sorry, compete with each other in your giving mutual respect. Be truly affectionate in showing love for one another. Compete with each other in giving mutual respect. Don't get tired of working hard. Be on fire with the Spirit. Work as slaves for the Lord. Celebrate your hope. Be patient in suffering. Give constant energy to prayer and contribute to the needs of God's people and make sure that you are hospitable to strangers. Romans 12 um, is in the book of Romans. Romans opens with a greeting, then it outlines our need for salvation, the way that we're saved. It talks about Israel. And then it heads into uh, verse 12 
uh, sorry, chapter 12, chapter 13, chapter 14, and a part of chapter 15 is an instruction in conduct. It is an instruction in culture. It opens, therefore, and it ties all of the previous 11 chapters through this is how we're supposed to live as Jesus followers. This is our code of conduct. This is our culture. And those four chapters really outline what it is to be a Jesus follower, what it is to be a part of an actual body. I encourage you to read Romans. It'll take you about 32 minutes, um, 33 if you're slow. But this morning, I want to continue talking about what our code is as a church, the things that make us Celebration Church. Last time I shared, two weeks ago, I shared around four of our codes that are our God-celebrating codes. Our mission statement as a church is to celebrate God, people, and life locally, nationally, and globally. And then our celebration code, there's 12 of them. Four of them are about God, four about people, and four about life. So we talked about the God ones. This week, we're going to look at the people ones. Is that okay with you? So let me pray, and then we'll get into this thing. Jesus, I thank you that you are here. We fix our attention on you. We are not interested in being an us-focused church or even a people-focused church. We want to be God-centered in everything that we do. So we just thank you for the honor it is to be here with you. We ask you would speak to us this morning. We ask that our lives would outwork who we are in you as your body. We ask you would speak to us and we pray for the unlimited sausages we are about to consume at 7 p.m. tonight. May they be connected and may they flow right down our gullets. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Thank you, Eden. You may be seated elsewhere. On the screen is a man called Reed Hastings. Everyone say, Reed Hastings. Born on October 6, 1960 in Boston, he was once a door-to-door vacuum salesman. How good is it when someone knocks on your door and offers you a vacuum? Who misses those days? Now you've got to be up at like 2 a.m. and you see one on TV and then you buy a shark vacuum cleaner and it breaks after 12 months. Or we bought Pastor Benai one as a church for his 30th birthday, which I think is hilarious. Um, to buy someone a vacuum cleaner is on the same level as buying someone deodorant or soap. It is, you must be cleaner. Here are the tools that you need to do this. Has anyone ever gifted toothpaste to anyone? That's funnier as well. Um, he also joined the Marine Corps. He dropped out and then he joined the Peace Corps, which is an alternative to the Marine Corps. He went to Stanford University, graduated with a master's in software engineer. He founded a company called Pure Software, which is such a great name for just, we're all about software. He's been on two major boards, the board of Facebook and the board of Microsoft. He was also um, one of the leaders of the California Department of Education. And he is most famously the founder, chairman, and CEO of a company called Netflix. He was the man that uh, tried to um, compete with things like Blockbuster, if you're Australian, which some of you are, Video Easy, by doing DVD mailouts. Does anyone remember DVD mailouts? No one. Awesome. So what would happen is you would rent the movie and it would be snail mailed to your house and there was 
ways of solving problems of late fees. Does anyone ever receive video late fees before or DVD late fees? I still have some. It's $400, Legally Blonde 3. Um, that's really recent. Um, that's really recent. Um, but he was the founder of Netflix. He went through adapting Netflix to jump on the bandwagon of this thing called the internet. And he watched YouTube and he thought now streaming should take place. And about 240 million subscribers to Netflix right now. Um, that's not an accurate rendering of how many people have Netflix. I know this because 45 people share Paul Green's account. Um, <laughs> because their kids go places and log on to computers and then you use it for ages, but then you got to reset your internet and then you got no Netflix and you try to invite Ben over again just to get Paul's password. Um, I've had Mark Stan, I have an account called Not Joel, so I can watch things and no one holds me accountable in his family. Um, but there's nearly 250 million subscribers, apparently 3% of the world has Netflix, when in reality it's probably more like 20% actually are using Netflix. Um, but the thing amazing about Netflix is actually their culture as a business. They have these um, standards and practices and codes that are quite unusual. They encourage decision making in their employees where there is a very uh, small approval process when employees are buying shows for Netflix. There is there's people in that company that can just purchase $50 million worth of series and of movies with little to no supervision. You can get fired for it if it doesn't work out, but there is a huge amount of freedom. They share information really freely in the company where you know everyone's salary. The person above you, the person below you, there's very candid communication. They have um, monthly, quarterly, and yearly reviews of all team members up, sideways, and down, where they don't only just anonymously write them, but they read them out in group settings and say, team leader, this is how you could lead better. This is how you communicate poorly. These are your bad decisions. And they have a policy called the most effective people stay where they constantly fire people if there is anyone that can do their job better. It's quite radical cultures. They also have a rule called avoid rules, which has all of their vacation policy. Their vacation policy is this, take vacations. There's no set amount of holidays you're supposed to take or you're not supposed to take. Just take vacations is their policy. Their parental leave policy is look after, sorry, take care of your baby and yourself. So as long as it meets those requirements, just go crazy and live your life. And the third uh, thing about avoiding rules is their, um, their policy on approval of expenses or travel or gifts for people. They have this five-word policy and it is uh, uh, in the best interest of Netflix, or sorry, act in Netflix best interest is their policy. So you can go and buy someone dinner, you can go and give a gift, you can travel to a country to check out a thing. As long as you're acting in the best interest of Netflix, then it is approved. It is fine. So there's people traveling to Europe to go around and look at certain things. But if you're caught doing something that isn't acting in the best interests of Netflix, you'll probably be replaced and moved on. Including people like Reed himself has fired himself from, fired himself from positions because he was not the best person for the job. That's quite a radical culture, but the culture is all 
around this one idea, we want to have the best team. We want to have the best team, so we're going to put these radical things in place. We're going to communicate candidly. We're going to, we're going to open things up. We're going to, you can talk directly to the CEO and tell him what he's doing wrong. It is a radical workplace, a radical organization that is interested in building the people inside of it quickly and effectively to be the best. When it comes to our celebration culture, it is not just a culture that is god It is God, people, and life. And I want to look at four cultures that are really uh, simple that will bring us back to, are we a loving, celebrating, caring for people type of church? There's a quote on the screen by a lady named Mandy Hale, and it says this. uh, Here we go, here we go, here we go, here we go, here we go. Slide number four. Everyone say four. There we go. Red flags are moments of hesitation that determine our destination. This is a quote we looked at two weeks ago. So this morning I want to talk about red flags of an apathetic church. A church that doesn't care about the things that she should care about. And we want to look at red flags, indicators that should help us to stop and hesitate to determine the destination to be a church that loves people wholeheartedly with a real type of love described in Romans 12. That it does it uh, with our whole hearts and does it not out of compulsion, not reluctantly, but lives a life that is about the body, not just the individual members. Does that sound okay this morning? So we're going to look at four different codes. The first code is this. It is code number four. And it says, we are faith people. We step out of the boat, we trust God, and we pray God-sized prayers. We are people who live by faith, not by sight. We take risks. Everyone say risks. Risks like? you know, going on a sabbatical and leaving Joel in charge. Um, We aren't afraid to fail, but when we fail, we fail forward. If we want to be a church that pleases God, we have to be a church that lives by faith, not by sight. This code, this one on the screen, is riddled with red flags. So a red flag helps us hesitate and determine our destination. So when we see red flags in ourselves and each other's, in each, each other's, plural of other, we get a moment to stop and pause and be like, are we okay with this type of destination? Are we okay with being a church that doesn't have faith for the impossible? Are we okay with being a church that is riddled with fear of failure so we never take a risk and get outside of the boat are we okay with being that type of church so the red flags are everywhere so when we see in ourselves and others that we will not step out of the boat or that we don't trust god or that we don't pray god-sized prayers we pray about things that we could do without him we are we could be people that live completely by sight and not by faith that we don't take risks that we are afraid to fail or that when we fail we don't move forward we stay there we get smaller we get more concerned we we live a smaller life that ends up in a weighted blanket with a candle in the corner of your room listening to white noise and our world gets smaller and smaller i want to encourage you church as we're finishing this year are you a faith person Jesus said it, so I will do it. Our best example of someone that is a faith person disciple is Peter. 
Peter failed openly, recorded 13 times in the New Testament. Not one failure of he stepped out of the boat and he sunk a little bit. 13 major fails, I'm going to say this, he failed much more than Judas. So if we're looking at failure levels, Judas isn't the rough one. Peter is making some decisions. He's standing, he's watching... (laughs) The transfiguration, even that failure of what he says there, we should build tents, we should live. I make tents, let's do some tent stuff right now. There's just weird things that he does, even uh, resulting in Paul rebuking Peter. Like this is post-Jesus, post-denial, post-Acts 2. Peter is still doing, like Paul is rebuking Peter, being like he is lost, he doesn't know what he's doing, he's not Jewy enough, he's not Christian enough, he doesn't know what's going on, he's leading people astray. Paul addresses Peter. But constantly Peter is this example of this last statement, we aren't afraid to fail, but when we fail, we fail forward again and again. Peter proves himself to be a faith type of disciple a little bit reckless, a little bit risk open, a little bit of I'll step out and I'll see what Jesus does and if he does nothing, I'll I'll scream out and he'll save me anyway. I'll again and again take a risk. Church, where's your faith at? When you see a lack of faith in each other, are you bold enough? Are we family enough to help each other to be faith people? Does that sound Okay. The second code uh, is actually number six that we're going to look at today. And it says this, we love people. We are kind. We listen. We choose people over function. We choose to make our lives about others and are passionate about the one. We are committed to discipleship. We are shepherds, not hired hands. And we believe that discipleship is the mission of the church. Again, this code is riddled with our red flags. It's a red flag when we're not kind, when we don't listen, when we choose function over people, when we make our lives about ourselves and we're not passionate about the one, when we're not committed to discipleship, when we have a hired hand mentality and when our mission is something other than discipling people to be Jesus-like and Jesus-centered. Red flags are do we tolerate people Red flags are do we love ourselves and get by and just, I don't want too much people. Are we the type of church that separates loving God from loving people or are we the type of church that understands that when we want to be a Jesus follower, his command is to love God and to love others? Are you church, my question, my challenge for you this morning, are you committed to this type of discipleship? And when you see it in yourself that you are getting you focused and apathetic towards the things of God, when you no longer make a place that God is attracted to because of your hunger or is attracted to because of the space you're making for Him to move or attracted to you because you're willing to conform yourself to His mission to disciple people, when you see those red flags, do you say, wait a second, I'm not okay with this destination? hesitate right now i want to be hungry for god i want to make space for god i want to conform to what god is doing do i really love people not just in word but as galatians describes one of the fruits of the spirit is goodness and that goodness isn't an intrinsic goodness that goodness is good acts 
that a fruit of the Spirit is to do good things to those around us. The third code we're looking at is code number eight, and it says we are a house of... We are a house of... We exist to see people saved, to move from darkness into light, from death into life. We are a house where multitudes find Christ. What's the red flag? If I asked you who you're leading to Jesus right now, you need a few moments to conjure up a lie. <laughs> the red flag is, are you leading people out of darkness into light? Uh, is there someone that if I asked you this morning, turn the person next to you and tell them the person you've been praying for this week to be saved you need to go back in your history of the last time someone asked you that question to consider the salvation of those around you. The last time we did 101 or we wrote someone's name down in church and you're like looking for it. Or the red flag is, are we a church that is only passionate about our own saving? Our own rescuing? Or are we a church that understands that our workplace is not for dollars, it is for outreach? Our school is not for education. Our school is to be light in darkness. That the shopping center might be the place where you love putting your AirPod Pros in your ears and then putting your AirPod Maxes over them and double noise cancelling out the world. And someone looks at you and you say, I can't hear you. Um, awesome voice. Um, or are we the type of people, not just together but individually when you look at celebration church members culture is about a multitude being saved that the problem if i asked you to list someone you're believing for and praying for and outreaching to be saved the problem is not finding one the problem is only saying one my parents and my siblings and that cousin and that nephew and my, my boss and that person that I don't really like and I would love them to be saved so that they would live like Jesus and they would love me and honor me and encourage me and support me and be patient and kind. And that stranger, that person that you walk by and don't see and notice anymore, your principal, your, is there a multitude of people you're believing to be saved and is it a red flag in you and is it a red flag in the person next to you when it's about your saving and not the multitudes saving. The last code we're looking at this morning is code number 11. Everyone say legs 11. It says, we believe in unity. We fight for unity. We are unoffendable. I had the, the funnest time a few men's gatherings ago, Banner Brothers. I got all the men together and I said, who here thinks that our world is just, so precious they're offended so easily and all the men were like yeah everyone's offended about everything yeah everyone makes you do things yeah we're not like that are we oh. you really set them up yeah we're on yeah they're offended so easily but us as the church are offended amazingly do you know how offended you are if the drummer uses like the wrong drumsticks and it's a little bit too loud, you're like, oh my gosh, God's calling me to Narrow City Church. Um, but a church is unoffendable. We believe, uh, we, are, we passionately believe in each other. We believe in leadership. 
We are shield bearers. We believe that the way that the army wins is to support those who lead us. Our goal is to make our leader's job a joy, not a burden. Where are the red flags? We believe in disunity. We can call it all playing our part sometimes. You play your part, I don't play my part. If your part doesn't involve connecting with the other parts, that's not your part. Your part is people, not gifting. You're a clanging symbol if it lacks love. When gifting is placed above fruit, we don't, we're not the church anymore. We're a performing arts college. It's beautiful to watch. But it's boring. No, no offensive performing arts colleges is your thing. That we don't fight for unity. If anything, we fight against unity. We just fight. That we're offended easily, that we are not passionate about each other. We're passionate about ourselves. In our conversations, perhaps we are just there waiting. I haven't finished yet. When's my time to say my words done? I think, and like we miss being passionate about others and what they have to say and their testimony, and we just become very passionate about sharing our opinions. A red flag is that we don't believe in leadership, although we're afraid of the word leadership. Just imagine the 66 books in the Bible without leadership. Imagine what would have happened between Genesis and Revelations if leaders didn't do anything. Almost every single thing that happened from Genesis to Revelations is on the back of someone standing up in their generation and leading. So as a church, we have to not just tolerate leadership, we have to believe in it strongly, that there is a responsibility of a leader to lead the people, to serve them, to protect them, to guide them, to point them towards Jesus, that we need to be passionate about leadership. The question is, are you Do you believe in leadership? And the way that I know if you believe in leadership is who is mentoring you and don't tell me someone's mentoring you that... No, don't do that. And who are you leading? Who are you discipling? What fruit are you producing? Because church, we actually are better together, but there's no point in us saying we're better together but not being together. Another red flag is we're not shield bearers. We bear our own shield, but we won't protect anyone else. We don't put our shield behind someone. We talked about shields a little while ago in church and the army was supposed to have shields on the front, the top and the back to protect it from all sides. It's a Roman tradition of how shields would work. With that type of church, it doesn't just shield bear for our leader or someone leading us, a host team this morning, or a hospo team or our worship leader, but for every single person, are we willing to lift our shield to help against the flaming arrows of the evil one? It is a red flag that we think that we win by tearing those down that lead us and it is a red flag to make someone's job a burden, not a joy. Loving God is the core of why we do what we do. And if we place him at the center, we'll always hunger for more of him. There will always be more space for him and we will conform to his image. But if we're going to be the type of church that doesn't just say we love Jesus and people come in and are confused or on the outside or 
don't feel connected. If we want to be the type of church that is light in darkness, we have to be the type of church that understands the warning slide is going to be on the screen, that a loving church creates space for him, hunger for him, and conformity to him. That the type of church that puts Jesus at the center but listens and carries Jesus' heart towards other people will hunger for more of him, will create more space for him. If you're not discipling or leading anyone, I'm going to tell you this, your heart is quite small and God can't do everything he's supposed to do. Because there's something awesome about leading people, caring for them, praying for them, carrying them, speaking truth over them, seeing Jesus on the inside of them that makes your heart slightly more God-sized. But if Jesus is just whispering little... Let's, let's take Paul, for example. Paul is kind of a hero of the New Testament, but most of the things that you read from Paul is him leading and discipling people. It's not him sitting with Jesus playing a harp and, and whispering sweet nothings to each other. The revelations that Paul carried would not exist if he didn't lead the people that he led. It's his faithfulness with those around him that made it possible for God to add some more things in. When you go back one slide, I want to give you uh, just a few verses around these codes if your scripture inclined i think there's 24 up there um that these are the scriptural basis for these four codes for us as a church you're taking a photo of me mark thank you thank you so much are we a god-centered church makes us address the red flag of being a godless church are we a loving church helps us address the red flag of being an apathetic church that we are very passionate about things that he does not care about and we lack passion about the things that we ought to care about. And those things are unity, those things are loving people, those things are being united and better together. The last thought I want to share with us before we conclude this morning is this. Um, Romans 12 outlines an image for us that is outlined multiple times in the New Testament by Paul and by others, including Priscilla in Hebrews. Outlines this truth that the church isn't called to be a place of simple independence, but interdependence. That a church that is independent is doing a great job of following the pattern of the world. But a church that is interdependent is doing a great job of following the, the model of Romans 12, verse 1 through to 12. Of that each part of the body is supposed to play its part at building the rest of the body up. That's the role. And I want to challenge us this morning when it comes to these four codes around loving people is how are we doing, not with our independence as doing these things by ourselves, being judged, thank you, are we doing a good job at being interdependent, dependent upon other people? Let me give you this example. In a culture of independence, it is a weakness to ask for help. But in a culture of interdependence, it is a weakness not to. I'll say it again. 
in a culture of independence, it is a weakness to ask for help because you're supposed to be strong. You're supposed to have it together. I've been walking with Jesus for this long. I should have already conquered this one. To ask for help would be weak. I'm supposed to be able to carry this thing by myself. I'm supposed to put on my Sunday best, my garment of praise for my spirit of heaviness. I'm supposed to get through this thing because I'm supposed to be strong. If I ask for help, there's something wrong. But if the culture is an independent, sorry, a interdependence culture, that you're supposed to carry my burden, I'm supposed to carry yours, that this loving people thing outlined in those verses that I showed you on the screen just then, that if I don't ask for help, I'm stepping into a pattern of the world that isn't modeled to me in the New Testament. I'm stepping into... Function, task, isolation, me and Jesus versus the world. And I'm missing what real strength looks like in an interdependent family. That my weakness can be carried by your strength. That my prayer request can be supported, given hope and faith by your testimony. That my worst week is supported by your truth, your kindness, your compassion, your prayer, your empathy, your lack of apathy, your encouraging words. But it only happens when I'm willing to put my hand up and show my strength and my support of unity. I need help. As we're finishing this year and setting up for a great year next year, can I challenge you to make sure that you're not independent in our church do you not just whingy for the sake of whingy trying to yell and get attention but when you genuinely need help do you would follow maybe a biblical pattern do you would follow okay if i really believe in this i need to maybe be vulnerable i need to get some support here that I need to actually open up, that I need to love people enough to let God use them to speak into my life, to trust people enough and be patient enough and kind enough that I need to actually action these things that are in here and apply this code in my life. The very last thing I want to share is that these things can be ideals I said it last time. These are things we want to be one day. Yeah, we want to be a loving church. Yeah, we want to be united. Yeah, we want to be unoffendable. But they have to move from ideals to habits and practices and testimonies. And that happens not through me sharing something, but it happens through us applying it. Culture is not outlined and taught. Culture is seen. It's smelt. It's tasted. It's viewed. It, it's... It is a sensory experience. The church is supposed to be those things. My challenge for us is do we really celebrate people? Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are for us, that we are not attempting to do this type of love without you, that we actually need you, Holy Spirit, to move through us, to flow through us, to be the united church you've called us to be. That we cannot be united without you, King Jesus. So would you speak to us? Would you help us? Would you help us not to think that it is possible to have a relationship up with you that doesn't result in left and right? 
that we're an up and down person. Yeah, we're vertical, but we're not horizontal. God, I can't see that in your commands towards us. I see that our love for you should result in something in the earth. So would you help us, Holy Spirit? Would you be with us, Holy Spirit? And may when the world looks from the outside, see a family that loves you with our whole heart, but loves each other in such a real way. May this type of love result in a hunger for you like never before. May it create space for you to speak and be heard and be recognized. And may your church conform to a plan that is better than the world's plan. Conform to a plan that is better than our family traditions plan. That is better than the Australian plan or the Australian dream. That we would conform to your ways and see your type of fruit outwork in the earth. Be with us. Help us. We cannot do this by our own strength and we're not dumb enough to try. Even this week as we go out, Holy Spirit, even as we do family time together right now, help us to be interdependent, to trust the body of Christ enough to grow together to do the mission. In Jesus' name, everybody said... We hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you would like to know more about our church, please go to celebrationchurch.com.au.